Well, it's good to be with you guys. Good morning. Um, I'm so excited to be with you guys once again to share God's word. Uh, two weeks in a row. Are y'all ready for that? Man, thank you. There you go. Thank you. That's a confidence booster right there. Uh, Pastor Victor is back, so if you guys haven't got to see him, make sure you guys welcome him home. He did return from God's country, surprisingly. Um, oh, wow. Miss Linda coming in hot today, man. That was good. That was good. Hey, just because it text, just because Texas won yesterday doesn't mean this is the great state again, okay? Hey, even though that was the largest victory they had over OU in history, is that right? That was impressive. Go Longhorns, right? Uh, go Vols as well, by the way. <clears throat> um, anyway, yes, back to God's word, because that's why we're here, right? So, um, but I am excited once again uh, to share with you the message. If you guys want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to be at today, Luke chapter 22. So you can go ahead and find your place there. Luke chapter 22. Uh, I would love to pray for us real quick before we actually dive in. So if you guys wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me, we'll pray one more time. Uh, Father, we just come before you, and Lord, we just thank you so much for just this time that we get to gather together as a congregation. Um, Lord, and just the way you've already blessed this service with worship and just our time in prayer. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you continue to, to go before us in that manner, even in this time of studying your word. Lord, may this be all about you and what you have in store for us as your people. Uh, we love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, last week we looked at Luke chapter 21, which was, like I said, one of the, it's one of the most debated passages in all the, the, the Gospels uh, because of the, the context in which it's dealing with, which is about the end times. Don't worry, we're not really going to be looking at that again today, but I at least wanted to reference back to that as we look at today's passage because it does, I feel like, set us up for what we're going to be looking at. But before we look at today's passage, I just want to start out with a simple question for all of us to really ponder on. How many of us in this room, you can raise your hand if you'd like, has ever experienced loss in their life? Loss or hardship or some sort of tribulation. Uh, again, last week we saw that Jesus, as he was with his disciples, as they're in Jerusalem, right before they were fixing to partake in the, in the Lord's Supper, that was something that he, that he warned us about, how each and every one of us are going to experience hardship and tribulation. Now, in that particular context, he was talking about uh, tribulation in the sense towards the end times. But it can also be applied to our daily lives and how we will experience hardship. As, as believers in Jesus, he promises us, even like we saw before in Matthew chapter 10, where for anyone who bears the name of Christ, people will come against that. The name of Christ, the name of Jesus is offensive. And so we will face hard times. Like I said, whether it's loss, whether that's loss of a loved one, a broken relationship. Um, I mean, it could be you lost your property, lost your home to a, a, a catastrophe, a disaster. Uh, whether it's hardship of facing persecution to a degree or, or just whether you're in school and you're getting bullied. Uh, whatever that case may be, you're going to experience hardship, right? And then so my next question is, is how do you walk through that? What's your response to that? I mean, obviously, one that comes to my mind and what we're going to be looking at today as part of our main topic is this idea of prayer. 
praying through the situation, right? But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, when we face hardships or trials of various kinds, there, we have a tendency to lean towards the negative responses than the positive responses. And I'm sorry about the popping in the mic. I'm trying my best not to let that happen. But, but like I said, we have a tendency to lead to those negative responses. What I mean by that is like we, we have a tendency to uh, have, go to mentally a negative way of thinking of like, man, there's really no way out of this. I just can't seem to get out. Or physically, sometimes we turn to the negative responses as well, whether it's alcohol, drugs, uh, uh, physically harming ourselves, whatever the case may be. The, and just a side note, just the, the, the study of suicide among our, our nation right now is, is staggering. I don't have the percentages, but I just heard recently that it's going up. And so you see that we have this tendency in the face of hardship to go to the negative things versus remaining in the positive things. Some of those positive things, though, are like, like I said, prayer or, or relying on your community, right? This right here is a beautiful place for us to come to when we are facing hardships because we as the body of Christ can be there for, ones and, for one another. But I say all that just to kind of introduce what we're going to be looking at today in, in Luke chapter 22 because the passage that we're going to be looking at today is verses 39 through 46. And, and that context is, is Jesus is literally experiencing one of the hardest moment in his ministry in this chapter. We find him after partaking in the, in the Lord's Supper, which was a highly anticipated event that he was looking forward to with his disciples, which ultimately did not turn out very well. If you guys remember how that played out. I mean, ultimately in that, in that time, uh, he was telling, he, he instituted the Lord's Supper of which we looked at last week by partaking in the Lord's Supper. Uh, he did the infamous, uh, broke the bread, said, hey, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And then he gave him the cup, said, hey, this is the cup in the new covenant, which will, I will not drink of again until I make a new in heaven. And then all of a sudden, um, Jesus predicts how one of his disciples is going to betray him. And that just sent the whole evening in a downward spiral. The disciples then started looking at each other like, dude, is it, I knew Peter was up to no good. You know what I mean? Like they started blaming one another and they started questioning. And then somehow it turned into this idea of, well, who's the greatest disciple? Who's the greatest among us? And so you see this, this, this evening where it was supposed to be this great unifying experience of, of the Lord instituting the Lord's Supper to now there's this division, Right? And so uh, Jesus ultimately goes on and tells him like, hey, whoever's the greatest of you is actually the least. And whoever is the least of you is the greatest. For no one's greater than their master. And he goes on to talk about how, how he came not to serve or not to be served, but to serve. And we were to follow in that, right? And so they do the Lord's Supper. He, he uh, calls out Judas. Judas leaves and goes, does his thing to prepare the way of, of Jesus' arrest. And then now him and his disciples are walking back to uh, the Mount of Olives. That's where we pick up in this chapter. And then Jesus, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he begins to pray. But let's just read this chapter, or these verses together, picking up at verse 39. Um, will you guys stand with me as we read God's word? It says this, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Thank you. You guys may be seated. This is a fascinating account here, right? Jesus, as we read this account in the different gospels, there's different scenarios that kind of play out depending on how you read it from Matthew's account to Mark's account to Luke and John's account, right? But I love how Luke keeps it general because you got to remember who is his audience? The Gentile believers, right? The Gentiles. And so he keeps it very general here and he keeps the emphasis on Jesus and why he was there in the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane specifically to pray. Uh, but what I want us to first look at though is in verses 39 through 41, I want to see how, I want us to look at how this unfolds and ultimately where we find Jesus and what kind of position that he is in in face of what is to come, right? Because like I said, as a result of, of this, all of Jesus's ministry is leading up to this one moment where he is fixing to be betrayed and, lit, and just moments or an hours later, ultimately crucified, he'd be condemned and be uh, um, convicted to be crucified. But so verses 39, it says, he came and went out as he was to his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. So this is all the disciples, the whole gang, except for Judas, obviously, because he went off into this thing. And when he came to the place, he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is a fascinating uh, thing for Jesus to say because you got to remember, like leading up to this, Jesus in his ministry, I don't think he ever had a weak moment. He was very bold. He was not afraid or intimidated by anything. And I have up there on the screen the different accounts that we see, at least in the book of Luke, of him being bold. I mean, going back to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He himself being tempted by the deceiver himself, Satan. And we see how boldly he was and how he was not intimidated and how he ultimately uh, re rebuked Satan with scripture over and over again and it came out victorious in that temptation. Then ultimately him going on to be rejected in his hometown to, to healing men who were possessed with demons. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if I saw a man possessed with a demon right now, I'd probably pee myself, okay? Like, but he boldly and, and with great courage, with, uh, with great authority approached these men and he healed them from demon possession. And then he ministered to the multitude. What I mean, and what that's what we're seeing is to uh, the parable or the, um, oh goodness, with him on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that he ever did, right? And he did this with great power, great authority to raising life from the dead with the widow's son. And then ultimately what we see in the other accounts is him raising Lazarus from the dead. He did this with great authority, great power, no intimidation. And then it leads up to the last couple where he ultimately feeds the 5,000. And then the infamous passage in Luke chapter 11 where he opposes the religious leaders. I mean, he puts his foot down. He doesn't care what kind of position they're in. He's going to tell them the truth no matter what. 
I wish I had that kind of confidence to where I can just walk up to you guys and put you all in your place. But uh, I mean, I'm a broken sinner too. I can't really do that as much as I should. But Jesus does this with great authority, without intimidation. So for him to go into the garden, knowing what is fixing to happen to him, we see in this moment the, the humanity of Jesus. Because you gotta remember, Jesus being fully divine, fully God is also what? Fully human. Fully human. And so we see the humanity of Jesus being revealed here to where, and it's also emphasizing what he's fixing to encounter with being betrayed and being brought before and falsely accused and ultimately being hung on the cross. And as a result of being hung on the cross, what did that produce? Freedom and liberation for us, but he took the full wrath of God on him for the weight of the sins of the entire world. So not only are we seeing Jesus' humanity here, but we're also seeing the weight of what he's fixing to encounter for us. And he knows all this in his mind and he's looking at his disciples who have been faithfully following him day in and day out throughout his ministry. He says, pray. I need you to pray right now, lest you fall into temptation. So again, this is, a, this is an, an incredible moment right here that we see in the humanity side of Jesus and how he challenges his disciples, which by the way, for anyone who's bearing the name of Jesus today, who has a relationship with Jesus, we are his disciples. Granted, he's sitting up in the glorious father, sitting right beside the glorious father right now, but we still need to be praying, right? But he's challenging his disciples to pray. And then it says he goes, he withdrew himself about a stone's throw away and he knelt down and he began to pray. So not only is he commanding his disciples to pray, we see Jesus leading out in this. And again, this is my, my philosophy on this. If we see Jesus do it, chances are we should be doing it as well. Amen? And so we see Jesus in this moment, not only asking his disciples to pray, lest they fall into temptation, but he then goes and prays. And again, this goes back to what we looked at last week, guys. So Jesus commands us to watch and pray back in Luke 21, right? Because all these things that are fixing to come upon us, this, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the wars and pestilences that are fixing to take place, the persecution that will come upon the church and upon the believers of Jesus. He says, watch and pray. He's commanding us this, watch and pray. And we could have ended, I mean, he could have ended it right there because he speaks with great authority and great power. But yet now in the face of hardship, in the face of the greatest turmoil he will ever face in his humanity, what do we find Jesus doing? Praying. Praying. So I'm just gonna pause right here for a second. I want everybody to look at me in the, in the eyes here. I don't know what you guys are walking through in this life today. I don't know what you have already walked through. And I have no idea what is coming toward you. But no matter where you're at in that spectrum, the Father is there and he wants you to come to him and pray to him because he will deliver you through these things. Praying is our best option. And as the body of Christ, just a secondary thing, we are to be praying for one another. 
That's what we're seeing here. So Jesus is demonstrating to us that there's no better place to be than on your knees praying to the Father. But yet he's also relying on his disciples to be praying with him. This is a bodily function that we all need to do as the body of Christ. So again, when we are facing these hardships, and again, no matter how great or how uh, minor it may be in our life, we need to come to the Father for prayer, in prayer. Because as a result of Jesus praying, what does it say there in verse, um, well, first in verse 42, it says uh, his prayer, right? It says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we're going to look at that here specifically more in depth in just a second. But then it goes on to verse 43. And what happens as he's praying? And there appeared to him a what? An angel from heaven strengthening him. We're seeing Jesus in his full divinity, but also in his full humanity being strengthened by God through his servant, through an angel. This is the son of God, everybody. This is Jesus, God incarnate, who's needing strengthening. So again, if he needs to go to the father in prayer, who are we to think that we don't need to do that? But I want us to look now at these verses again, 42 through 44, but I want us to look specifically at how Jesus prays. It says, Father, I mean, listen to these words. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So I just want to break this down. The first word that we see here is the opening is Father. Father. Again, Jesus, fully divine. That's the, this is the mind-blowing aspect of the Trinity, of, of, of God being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're all in one, but yet they have separate roles. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But what we're seeing here is Jesus, the Son, going to the Father for prayer. He is recognizing who ultimately has the final authority. Who is the head He's demonstrating this for us as well and how we need to recognize the Father as the one who has the final authority in our life. Now, I know some of you guys in this room have a really bad relationship with fathers in this world. Let's be honest. We're all broken people. I have a, one, I have a 14-month-old, and I'll tell you what, in that short 14 months that I've had her, I've already failed her as a father. It's just inevitable. But let me tell you something. For it, it doesn't matter how bad of an experience you have with an earthly father, our heavenly father is so far exceedingly greater than anything this, these earthly fathers can ever produce. So we see Jesus coming before God, our father, and he says, Father, he is submitting himself completely and wholly and fully to the will of God, to the Father. So again, this is Jesus, fully divine, but yet fully human. It says, if, if you are willing, if, what a, what a complicated word, right? If. There's a lot of things that can come after that, right? And that could be the result of that word, if. But all I say is, if you are willing, 
Again, this is the son of God. He is fully aware of the entire plan of which is fixing to take place. He knows, I mean, he was there in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And he was, he's there now and he will be there in the end. So he knows the full scope of the plan. But yet he is going before the father and he is pleading to him, says, if you are willing, he knows God is willing and he knows God is perfect and God is righteous and God is just. Sorry, I got to slow down. I'm getting really amped up. So he knows these things about God, but yet he says, again, we see this place of submission to the authority and to the will of God. If you are willing. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. And what is that cup? It's the full wrath of God towards sin. If you guys are familiar at all with the Old Testament, this is the fulfillment of God's, of God's Old Testament prophecies coming about in the sense of God's wrath coming upon sin for all of mankind. As a result of our sin, the wrath of God was coming. And if it was not for Jesus as our Messiah, we would experience the full wrath of God. And unfortunately, there are still many people out there who are walking as enemies of Jesus who will experience the full wrath of God. But for those of us who are in Christ, and what I mean by that is those of us who believe that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and that he not only died, but then he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the Father for all eternity, at least until he comes back. It is through his blood that we are saved. If you believe that, the wrath of God has been extinguished because of Jesus, because of this. In this moment, God could have removed the cup from Jesus. But God, in his full divine knowledge, knew that he sent his son Jesus so that way he could take away the sins of the entire world because the Old Testament, uh, 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 the Old Testament sacrifices and all the things that he implemented were not sufficient. But Jesus, as fully God, yet fully man, fulfills the righteous requirement of sacrifice for all. And God knew that if he took that cup away from Jesus, there would be no atonement for any of us. This is a huge moment that we don't need to overlook. So Jesus saying, if you're willing, please remove this cup from me. And God the Father says, Jesus, I love you, but I cannot do that. And Jesus knew that. But this is, this is the beautiful thing about who our Messiah is. Is that he knows the pain and the anguish and the suffering and the hardships that we face. He has experienced them in the fullest. That's what we see in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, which we'll look at. Uh, that's what I was going to close with. But I just want to reference it. But he says, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Then he goes on and says this word, nevertheless. Nevertheless. That's another fun word for us to have in our vocabulary, right? Nevertheless, he's saying, regardless of what you do, God, Father, I will follow you. I will be obedient. I will be submissive to your final authority. Nevertheless of what you do, you are good. You are holy. You are just. How hard is that for us to follow that? in times of hardship, 
when we're experiencing loss, how hard is it to fall under God's authority in that moment? We are really good at, as humans, stepping in the place of God, thinking we have a better solution than he does. That is so far from the truth. So far from the truth. We have to submit ourselves to the will of God. Nevertheless, regardless of what happens as a result, his plan is far greater than anything that we could ever scheme up or come up with in this life. He's greater than any other, he's greater than any other governing body that this world can throw at us. He's greater than any other uh, thing that we can provide for us physically or financially. Whatever we try to throw at ourselves, God is greater than those things. So let us submit to that. And again, referencing back to last week with these times that we're facing, these, these hard times, which hard. We live in America, people. We are actually very blessed. Um, but and even in the face of hard times, we can trust in God's sovereign plan and his sovereign will over our lives. We just got to submit to his will and to his authority in prayer. And then he goes on and says, not my will, but your will be done. Because if it was up to Jesus, what we see here, I think is plain and simple. He would have had that cup removed. But God said, no. This is the only way that my people, my children, my creation will ever experience freedom will ever experience the freedom of sin and death is by you fulfilling the plans of which I have for you. So Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And we ultimately, what we'll see in the coming weeks of what, actually, what that actually means for Jesus. And that is not something we need to take lightly. He would go on to experience one of the most excruciating deaths this world has ever seen. Not just for fun, not just to prove that he was God, not just to prove that he was capable of doing it, but he did it so that way you and I can have atonement, that we could be redeemed. What I mean by redeemed and atonement is that we could be saved from our sin. That, that truly deserved the full wrath of God and what she was asking to remove from him. But it goes on, verses 45 through 46. It says this, and it says, well, actually, I'm going to go back to verse 44, and we'll keep going. It says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood flowing or falling down to the ground. That's how anxious, that's how worried, how stressed Jesus, who is fully God, I know you guys are probably like, we get it, Josh, he's fully God, fully man, but fully God. That's how anxious he was feeling in this moment because of his full humanity. Now, there's debate over if he was actually sweating blood, but there is actually a real uh, condition called hemoditrosis, which is a condition where the tiny blood vessels in the sweat glands rupture under great 
emotional duress and produce a mixture of sweat and blood. It's a real thing. But it's under great uh, distress, excruciating distress. I don't know about you guys, I feel like I've been stressed out in my life, but I've never had hemoditrosis, okay? So again, this puts into frame of reference the, the agony and the stress that Jesus was experiencing in this moment. It goes on to verse 45. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them what? Sleeping. The thing that we do best as humans. Some of y'all are like, man, I didn't want to come this morning because I'd rather sleep. I hope this convicts you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Now, that's an interesting phrase, sleeping for sorrow. I'm going to hit on that for a second. Again, I, I just casted shade for, on the disciples here, right, for sleeping and how we all like to sleep. But you got you to remember, the disciples have been walking with Jesus throughout this ministry, this three-year ministry, and, and he, they've experienced everything that he did. So you can only imagine how tired or how anxious or how worried or, or on the other side, how, how joyful. I mean, like there's just so many things going on. If I were in the disciples' shoes, I can only imagine how tired they were. And then on top of it, Jesus keeps predicting that he's gonna die and that he's gonna leave them. The, the, the one guy that they've been waiting for for centuries to come and to save them. And this is the, the crescendo moment. This is the night before uh, he gets betrayed or the night of. And, and the disciples, Jesus then tells us, he says, hey, pray that you, lest you fall into temptation. And they're like, oh my goodness, what is he referring to now? And then here they are falling asleep. But you can't blame them because of everything they just went through. So I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to show some empathy on the disciples here. So he found them sleeping with sorrow and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Rise and pray that may not enter into temptation. So again, he sees it. He comes back to him after having this moment with God the Father, asking him, Lord, if it's at all possible, please remove this cup from me. And he's in this great distress, great agony. And the angel comes and strengthens him. And then he gets up and walks back. And, and what does he find? His disciples sleeping. You can only imagine what was going through Jesus' head in this moment. I mean, his full humanity probably came out in this moment. Like, dude, what are y'all doing? It's like, I, did I not command you to, to, to pray? And here you are sleeping. I don't know if that's how it would have sounded, but that's just how it plays out in my head. But all I have to say, he comes and finds them sleeping. And he says, why are you sleeping? That's a, that's a unique question for us. Because again, going back to last week, with what he was saying in, in verses 34 through 36 of chapter 21, he says, uh, uh, watch and pray, right? And at the end of it, he also says that we must stay awake. We must stay awake lest we uh, be shocked at the coming of it, right? And so I'm just gonna give us a few reasons though of when we look at this question of when Jesus says, why are you sleeping? I want us to ask the question of why do we need to stay awake? I mean, we covered it a little bit last week, but I want to give you a few scripture references of why we must stay awake. If you're sleeping in the congregation, I hope you're hearing this, okay? But Proverbs 6, 4 through 11, it says, give eyes 
give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And it goes on, it says, how long will you lie, O sluggard? Will you, uh, when, you will, or when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So this is this warning of staying awake lest these things come upon you. And it goes on to Luke, is referencing last week, Luke 21, 34 to 36 says, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of life. And that day may come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. All who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that, you're going to take, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Very similarly, we also looked at this passage last week, but 1 Thessalonians 5, chapters, or sorry, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourself are fully aware of the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day will surprise you, know, for that day will surprise you like a thief. For you all are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who dies for, uh, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live within him. And a reference to that first Thessalonians passage, Revelation 16, 15, it says, behold, I am coming like a thief. This is Jesus saying this. He says, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. So for all you guys who like to sleep and you're like, man, it's a blessing to sleep. You're right. It is a blessing to sleep, but it's also a blessing to stay awake. Amen. So, Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and see, or be seen exposed. Ephesians 5, 11 through 17, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And he goes on, Paul does, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time. We talked about this last week of how if we're asleep, we're not fulfilling God's will, right? But when we're awake, that's when we're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And for as long as we have breath in our lungs and as long as we have life, no matter how hard life may be or how great it may be, we are called to fulfill one commission. And what is that? Hello? Go make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Fulfill your ministry. Again, for those of us who have the name of Christ, those of us who've been covered by the blood of Jesus, we are all missionaries. Let that sink in. All right. Then he goes on to finish that chapter or that verse in Ephesians says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Then Romans 13, 11 through 14 says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you, uh, for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night, 
is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, we need to stay awake and we need to pray so that way the schemes of the devil do not prevail. What Satan wants from us is for us to be distracted. Whether it's to be distracted by what we looked at last week with the end times and all these signs and all these things are gonna happen or to be distracted by the cares of this life. It doesn't matter which one we're distracted by. Satan's like, hey, as long as you're distracted by it, I can sneak in and I can grab a hold of whatever I would like and I'm going to tear this world apart. But if we're awake and we're watching and we're praying as what we're seeing Jesus doing here in this passage, there is no place for Satan to come in and to steal, to steal or to whatever, to, to sneak, steal, destroy, okay? When we put on the full armor of God every day that which Paul talks about, we are ready to fight the good fight of faith. Again, it's not going to be easy. Jesus tells us that. You're, we're going to face persecution. We're going to face trials. We're going to face the hardships of this life. It's inevitable. It's going to come upon every one of us who are on the face of the earth. But when we're walking in the will of God, as what we're seeing Jesus doing here, there's no, there's no reason for us to be afraid. There's no reason for us to be anxious because he's going to strengthen us and he's going to give us the things that we need to overcome this world, including Satan himself. So as we wrap up though, I'm going to read you two more passages. I know I've read a lot of different scripture references, but they're just really good. So, but I want to read to you Hebrews chapter four. And I, re I referred to this earlier. This is speaking of Jesus as our great high priest. He says, since then we have a great high, or since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, the one that we just read about in the garden. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But get this, man, this is powerful but one who in every respect, every way possible has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I challenge us to memorize this passage. It's a great reminder of who we have in Jesus. When we look at Jesus in the garden and praying and, the, and all this distress, because he chose to walk in the will of God in that moment, instead of taking the cup away, we now have this, our great high priest. And then Marsha stole my thunder this morning with reading Matthew 11, but I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read it to you again anyway. I was going to close with this passage. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to cast all of your worries. I want you to cast all of your struggles, all of your hardships, everything. I want whatever is weighing you down, cast it upon me. Let me take it. And let me tell you something, he already took it. The moment he died on that cross, he took the full wrath of God upon his shoulders for all of us. He says, as a result, when you cast that upon me, I'm going to put my yoke on you because it is, it is low, it is gentle. Or it says, sorry, let me re- My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Okay, that, I'm just going to say that. So it's, but all that to say is that when he, when he gives us his yoke, it is easy. It is easy for us to carry because we don't have to carry all that burden anymore. So I, again, I, I challenge us to memorize that passage as a source for us to be encouraged, to be refreshed. But again, I don't know where we all are this morning. Some of us could be experiencing some of the darkest days in our lives right now. Some of us are at the, the peak of our life. Man, nothing is going wrong. Everything is going right. And praise God for that. Make sure you praise him for that. But for those of you guys who are hurting, I challenge you, follow the example that Jesus just gave us. Go to the Father who desires to take away your burdens. He desires to bring peace to your soul. And for anyone in this room, as we go into this time of invitation, if anyone in this room doesn't have the peace of Christ in their heart, who doesn't have that relationship with Jesus. And, and all of this that we're talking about, it seems crazy because of this guy who came and died on the cross for our sins, it took away our sins. And then now he's sitting in the, the right hand of the father. Like, what is all this about? What does this mean about, or what is he, what is he talking about taking away my sin? Like, I ask that, I challenge you to come and ask and seek and that you start that relationship with Jesus today because it's only through Jesus that we can find that peace and rest for our soul, that we can find salvation from our sin. But for the rest of us who are in Christ, again, I challenge us to, to make sure that we are diligent in prayer, diligent in seeking the Father all the days of our lives. Again, if Jesus found it important to do it's important for us to do as well. Let me pray for us. Then we'll go into our invitation. Lord God, we just thank you so much for the example which you set for us. The ministry that you did, Father, here on this earth, the, the death that you died, and ultimately the sacrifice that you gave, and how you were no longer dead, but you were alive, seated so at the right hand of our Father. Lord, what hope and what assurance we can find in you. And I pray, Father, that if there's anyone in this room today who does not have that hope and does not have that assurance in, in Christ and in, in Jesus being Lord and Savior of your, their life, that they will seek and find that today. It's not that hard to, to find it. All you gotta do is turn and look for it. But God, uh, we just thank you, though, for the way that you work in our lives and the way that you 
take away our sin and the fact that we can find hope and rest and comfort and assurance in you despite what we may face in this world. We love you, Lord. And we give all praise, honor, and glory to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.